buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group. And right now, uh, stepping back in, doing um, editing on Lady Hyde, and that's moving along pretty good. So happy with that. And then going to jump back in and do uh, more on the next Emmanuel film after that. So this is episode 83, and that means we're dealing with film number 22. And that film would be The Castle of Fu Manchu. Who sent you? Fu Manchu did. So this is um, an early film by Jess Franco. Like I said, film 22. Uh, Most filmmakers... You know, do about 22 films. That's the end of theirs. Shit. Just forgot another 100 and some odd after that. So, But yeah, so here we go. Uh, this is The Castle of Fu Manchu. And of course, being a Harry Allen Towers film, you're going to have multiple countries and producers. So for this, you have Spain, Italy, West Germany, and the UK. And this uh, went into production in 1968. And it's the last Fu Manchu film. Uh, actually, ever. Uh, well, you know, a straight one. They did. Uh, 1980, Peter Sellers' last film was um, The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. And that was like a total mismatch and a, like a spoof. So, But yeah, this was the last legit straight up Fu Manchu film. So, uh, like I've mentioned before in older episodes, um, like Fu Manchu is one of my favorite characters. Uh, and as a kid, I always dug Fu Manchu. I thought he was like a really cool, evil, bad guy. He was like a mad scientist. He was smart. Um, he had, you know, his grudge, but he worried about world domination, not, you know, going against one person or a, a family or a village. He's like trying to take over the world. So, yeah, he was an awesome uh, Chinese Superman, you know, evil Superman. So, so yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what got me into Jess Frank and all that stuff too. I mentioned before was uh, watching these two Jess Franco Fu Manchu films, um, and yeah, I had watched this one again recently, and uh, it's a little bit better than I remembered. So, but being a Jess Franco fan that helps. All right, so here we go. Here's all the technical good stuff uh, that we always do uh, from once again Murder's Passions, Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco Volume One by Stephen Thrower. Um, I went to Amazon recently, just looked this book up, and it looks like it went out of print or something. They're like people asking for like a thousand dollars or at least high hundreds uh for copies so but then it looks like it might be going through another publisher too uh so i'm gonna check into that and see if it's uh got a new publisher coming up or what but uh yeah so it might come back out again at a cheaper price so maybe with extra stuff i don't know we'll see so keep on the lookout for that but uh back to castle so all right so castle fu manchu who sent you? Who made you? Uh, Spain, Italy, West Germany, and UK, 1968. The original theatrical titles, titles in country of origin. In Spain, it was known as um, El Castillo de Fu Manchu. Uh, in Germany, it's um, Die Fultenkammer des Dr. Fu Manchu. It's all separated when they do it. It's kind of cool. Uh, alternative titles, uh, Sax Romer's The Castle of Fu Manchu, that's the on-screen USA slash UK uh, dub on it, Sax Romer's The Castle of Fu Manchu, get a little more prestige. Uh, on-screen US trailer poster is The Castle of Fu-Man-Chu, Fu Manchu, 
I guess to help people pronounce it, phonetic break it down. Uh, then also in Germany, uh, it's uh, Das Glas der Gehenken. That's an interesting one. And uh, let's see, reported for unreleased Italian version, Il Castillo di Fomenciu. And then the shooting title, of course, is um, Assignment Istanbul. And um, I watched uh, the Indicator Blu-ray of it. Um, Indicator put out, which I think is now out of print, the Fu Manchu cycle, um, all five Fu Manchu films on Blu-ray. And uh, the Castle of Fu Manchu copy I watched had um, the uh, alternative assignment Istanbul title on there as well as Castle of Fu Manchu. So that's pretty cool. That's definitely a really good version. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so we have uh, production companies. Um Productione Cinematographice Bascar out of Barcelona. Uh, Tilma Films out of Barcelona. Uh, Italian International Film out of Rome. Uh, Terra Filmkunst GmbH Berlin. And Towers of London uh, out of London, uncredited. Uh, theatrical Distributors. Uh, Maher Films out of Barcelona. Constantin Film out of Munich. International Cinema Corp out of Los Angeles. Uh, Anglo EMI Distributors Limited out of London and MGM Ozzy International Sales and uh, no theatrical distributors in Italy. So, yeah. All right. Uh, shooting timeline on this. Shooting date uh, went from June 25th to July 27th of 1968. Uh, got a certificate in April and played West Germany on May 30th of the following year in 1969. And uh, UK certificate issued September 11th, 1970. Played uh, Kingston, Jamaica on September 24th, 1970. Then finally played the UK on uh, December 1970. And played Barcelona September 18th of 72. And finally played the United States in Lubbock, Texas. Had its premiere on November 19th, 1972. And uh, Madrid, finally, on May 28th, 1973. And then finally, Seville played July 6th of uh, 1974. Uh, theatrical running time, Spain, 92 minutes. West Germany, 85 minutes. UK, 92 minutes, 7 seconds. And United States, 87 minutes. Uh, let's see, the cast version I watched was... Um, I think I wrote it down. It was 123... One hour, 32 minutes, so that's 92 minutes. So the version I watched was probably, yeah, the UK one. Yeah, 92 minutes, 7 seconds. This was 92 minutes, 15 seconds. So, okay, it must be the same as the Spain. Okay, it's just, yeah, interesting. All right, so cast on this. Uh, Christopher Lee, of course, as Dr. Fu Manchu. Uh, Richard Green as Sir Dennis Nayland Smith. Jose Manuel Martin as Omar Pasha, who's a really cool heel in this film. Uh, Gunther Stoll as Dr. Kurt Kessler. Um, Sai Chin as Lin Tang. Maria Pershing as Dr. Ingrid Koch. Uh, Rosalba Neri is my favorite. As Lisa, Omar Pasha's favorite. Uh, she's, she's really good in this. Um, Gustavo Rey plays Professor Heracles. I oh, know that was him. Cool. Well, Gustavo Rey, I didn't know he was in this film. Uh, Werner 
Abrolat, Melnick the informant, Osvaldo Giznani, Genazni plays Sir Robert, uh, Howard Marion Crawford, of course, plays Dr. Ronald Petrie, and uncredited, uh, Gene Reyes plays Fu Manchu's main henchman, uh, Jess Franco plays General Hammond, the inspector, and he wears the fez in this film, which is uh, what the little tree topper Severin put out a few years ago, uh, came from is this film with his um, little fez. Uh, let's see. And we have uh, Mike Brindell, who's one of my favorites. He plays Pasha Henchman with Machine Gun. And uh, Guillermo Mendez, Pasha Henchman with Pipe. And uh, Jack Rocha is a henchman. And then, of course, Burke Quat is in it. Fino, footage from Brides of Fu Manchu. Yeah, this film has a lot of other uh, footage they use in this, but we'll go over that as we go through it. Uh, let's see. Uh, director Jess Franco, screenplay by Harry Allen Towers. Of course, is Peter Walbeck. Story and screenplay by Manfred Barthel. And Michael Haller, based on characters, script by Sex Romer. Uh, let's see, quite a bit of credits on here. Music, Malcolm Shelby. That's interesting. Yeah, the music's really good in this. Is, I know it was different. The main theme, which is played quite a bit, um, is a nice piece of uh, jazz. So, uh, Producer Harry on Towers. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, way more credits here than in actual the copy I watched. It was very minimal with the credits. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. All right, production notes. Uh According to Bowscar Productions, Cinematographica, okay, it's a book about Barcelona's Bowscar Studios, where interiors for several Towers productions were shot. Jess Franco finished Justine on a Saturday in June 1968 and began working on the castle of Fu Manchu the following Monday. Our good landladies a wee bit thrifty, says Nayland Smith in an early scene as he surveys the disappointing picnic hamper. The line could be a bitter joke from Franco about the diminishing resources offered to him by Harry Allen Towers on this, the cheapest looking of their films together. <coughs> okay, review. Uh, of course, by Stephen Thrower. Um, often decried as the worst of the Fu Manchu films, The Castle of Fu Manchu stands up quite well if watched with a sense of humor, thanks to a pulpy plot and some irresistible Franco-esque absurdities. As long as you bring to it the expectations appropriate to a cheap and cheerful low-budget production rather than a prestige B-movie, it offers plenty of camp amusement. Among Franco fans, debate usually rages, that's not too strong a word, as to whether The Castle of Fu Manchu or The Blood of Fu Manchu is a better film. My vote goes to this one. Yeah, I think I'd agree, too. Uh, firstly, both hero and villain get more screen time. Richard Green's Nayland Smith is sidelined for much of Blood of Fu Manchu, whereas here he's a central character fighting from beginning to end. We also, and this is essential, see more of Christopher Lee. Let's face it, there is no more essential a reason to watch a Fu Manchu film than to witness Christopher Lee in action. Harumph. Uh, stoical and one note through the character may be, more so even than Dracula, who at least veers between courtesy and savagery. Lee is still a genuine star, and Franco doesn't get to work with the Giants very often. This is the second of seven films the two men would make together, so they were evidently getting along famously, with disagreements over sexually explicit reshoots still months ahead of them. 
The plot is more interesting, too. Call me a sociopath, but I prefer a supervillain who threatens entire cities rather than picking off victims one by one. That's funny. That's what I was just saying earlier. Uh, Nathan Smith examining a map of the world at police headquarters and realizing that Fu Manchu's method this time involves freezing the oceans points to a handful of obvious bases from where the villain may be operating. Of the four he chooses, one is Istanbul. I find it hard to see how anyone could create a list of only four possible bases for effecting freezing the oceans. In the prologue, Fu Manchu has already achieved admirable results in the Caribbean. But let's not quibble about details. It turns out that our hero is bang on target. Fu Manchu is indeed on his way to Istanbul, heading inland from there to Anatolia, eastern Turkey, where he glides in and commandeers a gorgeous palatial residence from a quivering government official. The building has some curious architectural ambiguities, which we can discuss in the location section. But for now, we're definitely in Turkey, okay? Good. That's settled. Among the other plot devices, conveniences, or absurdities, if you like, that tower's script bequeaths to Franco, my favorite is the treatment of opium. Already considered a source of evil by bourgeois society and the castle of Fu Manchu, it not only addles the brains of poverty-stricken drug addicts and romantic poets, it can also be transformed into a crystalline variant, which, when added to water, creates a chain reaction of ice. <laughs> which is why Fu Manchu wants control of the opium trade. Nothing so banal nor so racially controversial as the ruination of the West through rampant drug addiction. Small doses can also induce suspended animation in human subjects. Clearly, the commercial prospects are endless. Never mind world conquest. Why doesn't Fu Manchu just float his product on the stock market? Hopefully, the cattle. I'm sorry, hopefully. Helpfully, the castle of the Turkish official taken over by Fu Manchu contains, we're told, Turkey's biggest stash of opium. This implication that the Turkish government stockpiles opium may be Franco's heaviest political statement so far. But this is not a serious film in any way. Its only value lies in its ever-growing pile of nonsense currency. For instance, secrecy among the villainous is right out of fashion. Fu Manchu's hooded lackeys, bearing scimitars and wearing black silk robes, carry the frozen Kessler and Ingrid in wooden coffins into a Turkish township in broad daylight, as if seeking a prize for most suspicious new rival of the year. Said coffins are then conveyed across the Bosphorus in rowing boats, conspicuously in broad daylight, while a tourist steamer chugs merrily by in the background. Plausibility has been hijacked and stuffed in a crate somewhere. At one point, Kessler and Ingrid make their escape from a dungeon by throwing acid at the iron lock. Crazy, but it just might work before stopping in the doorway for a passionate kiss with clouds of toxic fumes enveloping him. <laughs> Certain scenes suggest Franco's craving for the trappings of horror. When the bodies of Kessler and Ingrid arrive at Fu Manchu's lair, their coffins are deposited beside the bed of their sick friend, Professor Heracles, sprayed with some kind of thawing device. Okay, a fire extinguisher. Kessler rises from the dead a scene which Franco shoots as though it's Christopher Lee clamoring out of the grave. 
that's very true. Uh, maybe Lee had agreed to star in a Count Dracula over a glass of Riocha that very lunchtime, so Jess couldn't wait to get started. <clears throat> uh, time was running out for Fu Manchu franchise, a fact in which Fu Manchu himself seems to intuit in Castle. Throughout the film, he drives his experiments to disaster through extreme haste, suggesting a self-destructive undercurrent to the character that's quite intriguing and could have been teased out more rewardingly had anyone stopped to think about it. Even Nayland Smith cannot reach you now, father, says ever-loving daughter Lin Tang as they contemplate imminent victory. I wish that he would try, is Fu Manchu's curious response. It's as though the villain is pining for his nemesis. But of course, no one at the time of shooting knew for sure that this was the last serious Fu Manchu film. Such moments are just spooky coincidences. Cooing around a venerable movie icon about to meet, if not his doom, then certainly a major hiatus. After 1968, the character was frozen for 12 years, as effectively as his opium-crystallized victims, until the semi-spoof Peter Sellers version, 1980's The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, co-produced by Hugh Hefner. A big step up from sleazy Harry Towers, right? Uh, the world would indeed hear from him again, but next time with a very different timber. All right, Franco on screen. Uh, Franco plays General Hamid, a lazy, ineffectual police inspector who can barely rouse himself from lethargy long enough to comprehend that there is no international supercriminal on his patch. Cast and crew. Uh, Howard Marion Crawford reprises for the last time his role as Dr. Petrie, having appeared in all five of Harry Allen Towers' Fu Manchu films. In a long and varied career, he was one of the earliest Dr. Watsons, co-starring in the U.S.-financed Adventure of Sherlock Holmes, 1954-55, alongside Ronald Howard as Holmes. And just prior to his first Franco film, The Blood of Fu Manchu, he played in two top-notch Emma Peel episodes, The Avengers, What the Butler Saw, 66, and The Living Dead, 67. After The Castle of Fu Manchu, he went on to appear in a third Avengers episode, the decidedly peculiar Tara King-style Stay Tuned, uh, before dying of a heart attack in November 1969, just about a year later. Uh, music. Um, Charles Camilleri gets credit on the English-language print, while Malcolm Shelby is named on the Spanish print. Another had a... Neither had a career prominent enough to gauge the style of their work, although Camilleri seems to be the more likely candidate having scored House of a Thousand Dolls for Towers the year before. Studios, E-Studios, Bascar, Barcelona. Locations. Okay, okay. Franco's Palace in Turkey is actually the famous Juel Park in Barcelona, designed by Antonio Gotti. Uh, yes, it's a bit like... Yes, it's a bit like pointing a camera at the post office tower and claiming it's a secret military base in Guadalupe. We can all laugh about it now, but in 1969, what percentage of U.S. or U.K. viewers, or indeed viewers anywhere outside Spain, could spot this Barcelona landmark and swear it wasn't some mad Turkish palace? I guess fewer than 1%. Franco evidently decided that since the film was so cheap, it needed some extra oomph on screen and chose the most dramatic location within range of Balscar Studios. Yeah, okay, so also um, that place, the Guel Park in Barcelona, he uses that 
in quite a few later films when I, I that caught my eye having seen those films um uh, you know before um like robinson um uh what was it uh el Saluno del Poseri proberti the one with uh barkin and Annie Brent was it robinson and his Crusoe and his wives or whatever his three wives or that one and and he uses it in uh quite a few other films when he's supposed to be like um like a forest or uh uh the area he uses that right around that period quite a bit. So, but yeah, he, he used that location shit probably, gosh, maybe like at least five to ten other times. I know of just off the top of my head. But yeah, that's interesting. Uh, okay, you, um, okay, connections. Uh, early scenes depicting Fu Manchu. Okay, yeah. So this film starts off, I'll, I'll go over it in my, uh, review later. But yeah, it basically starts off with like scenes from other movies. It's funny. Okay, early scenes depicting, which is like the first six minutes. Early scenes depicting Fu Manchu's ocean freezing machine are lifted directly from the 1966 Don Sharp film, The Brides of Fu Manchu, which is a little outrageous, especially as they run for several minutes, feature a memorable and distinctive set, and simply redub Christopher Lee and Sai Chin to suit the current film's needs. But look at it this way. At least Bert Kwok, Kato from the Pink Panther films, has now appeared in a Franco film, even if he never knew it. The inclusion of blue-tinted footage from Roy Ward Baker's esteemed film about the sinking of the Titanic, A Night to Remember, 1958, which is only ten years before this film, is less easy to justify, although it's not the first time black-and-white footage had been spliced into a color Franco film, See Kiss Me Monster, nor would it be the last see Revenge of the House of Usher. Yeah, this film, uh, I'll talk about it in my in, in my review later, but yeah, there's a lot of stock footage of like this dam bursting, and which they don't talk about here, and, and a lot of explosions, and of course the, the ship, and it's just really, really funny. Um, okay, other versions. A comparison with the Spanish version reveals that Blue Underground's DVD trims a considerable amount of picture from top to bottom. A few names are altered, but basically the Spanish and English versions are identical scene for scene. Incidentally, although the film reputedly had Italian money in it, there seems to not have been an Italian version released. I can find no poster or stills for Il Castillo di Fu Manchu. Was it prepared and then rejected, or did it never really have Italian financing? Interesting. Uh, Problematica. Yeah, this is what I caught, too. Uh, Maria Pershing is credited on the English-language prints as Marie. However, the English dubbing name for her character as Dr. Ingrid Koch, prolific Spanish feature player, Moise. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so her name's uh, Marie, but they call her Dr. Ingrid Koch because I wrote down Ingrid, and then I was like, wait, she's not on there. But, yeah, it's funny. But in the credit, she's Marie. Um Prolific Spanish featured player Moises Augusto Roca can be identified clearly in stills, but is not visible in release prints. Some sources claim that German actor Hubert Fuchs plays the governor of Antonioli. However, that is not the case. Similarly, Jess Franco's nephew and future director Ricardo Franco is said to play one of Fu Manchu's henchmen, but we are unable to confirm this. Uh, they also say that... Uh, Francisco Romano's in it, blah, 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 okay. 
uh, press coverage, Cinema Fantastique declared that Christopher Lee is once again a perfect picture of elegance and evil as the famed Oriental supervillain, but the production is strictly El Chipo and truly lackluster in its execution of the by now routine plot elements. So, yeah, that's uh, what they have to say uh, in uh, Stephen Thrower's book. Of course, Murderous Passions. Um, so, yeah, that's that's his deal here on that. So, um, hang out through the bumper music, and uh, I might just knock this out myself um, for time. and Because uh, I think I did the other review for... Uh, Blood of Fu Manchu way back when, and I think I did that by myself. So I think, which is like I think my first solo review. So I think I might hang out and do that as well to uh, keep it going along. Um, also, too, I want to say thank you to uh, whoever it was that uh, went ahead and supported the Franco um, uh, Observer podcast and uh, donated money uh, as a monthly reoccurring. Um, gesture. I do appreciate that. Thank you very much. That's actually made my day. And also, um, I have uh, some Jess Franco inspired uh, designs uh, that I did for Lena and Jess and other things. I think I got like seven or eight up, and I might be putting up some more based on my art. And those are on the Red Bubble. Uh, if you just look up like um, Lena or Jess Franco or uh, uh, Jason Rudy or uh, Desperate Visions or Mono Visions or something you'll 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 see them up there. So, um, but yeah, or send me an email and I'll send you the link. Um, but yeah, we had a couple sales on there recently. Somebody, uh, a fan up in Canada, bought uh, a couple different designs. So thank you very much for that. So yeah, very cool. I'm glad to see that. Uh, you know, sometimes you put out some stuff and people like it and they support you and that makes it even better. So. Uh, uh, muchas gracias to you to all of you who have done that so thank you very much and uh, it makes me uh, work harder and uh, do better and always stay on track so thank you very much and if you would like to donate either one time or recurring uh, there's a little button on the website and uh, Uncle Jason would be a very happy boy if you do that so if you're able to do that appreciate it if not don't worry Shows will always be free and will always be up there once a week for you, so no worries. Um, also, to download the episodes, um, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, every Wednesday morning, you'll get them downloaded for free to your site or to your, I'm getting tired here, to your page or, you know, to your email address, whatever it is. And uh, yeah, so just download those, subscribe, tell a friend about the show, uh, tell everybody you know about it, and uh, I would appreciate that. Uh, also, too, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at uh, FrancoObserver, one word, at yahoo.com. And we got a Facebook page, uh, Franco Observer Podcast. And we got Instagram page, Franco Observer Podcast. And all that good stuff. So, yeah. Um, so hang out, pass the bumper music, and I will give you my review of a little place to visit next time you're out. And it's called the castle of Fu Manchu. Uh, parking's pretty cheap, but it's worth it. Hey, buddies, buddies. Hello, Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, and I just got done watching the castle of Fu Manchu. 
Um, like I said earlier, I watched the uh, Indicator uh, Blu-ray. Um, I also have still my uh, Blue Underground DVD copy from... Well, I used to work at the video store, so this is like 2003. So, God, almost 20 years uh, I've had this copy. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, the... Uh, go over all the details here before we go into the review. Uh, the Blue Underground DVD has um, one of their two, um, you know, the rise, and then the second part is the fall of Fu Manchu. Uh, it's uh, interviews with uh, director Jess Franco, producer Harry Allen Towers, stars Christopher Lee and Sai Chin, and um, yeah, theatrical trailer, poster and still gallery, the facts of Dr. Fu Manchu, talent bios, and liner notes by the great video watchdogs, Tim Lucas. And um, the limited... Yeah, okay, so that was that. Now the uh, indicator Blu-ray, which is part of the... Uh, what is it? Uh, five film set, which has uh, all five films with like a bunch of um, extra features... Uh, some short films from the old serials of Fu Manchu from like the uh, like what the twenties or thirties, yeah, nineteen twenty four is this one I'm looking at here from uh, thirty one minutes. Um, but yeah, so this one, for instance, has uh, quite a bit on it. Actually, all these have quite a bit on them. Uh, so this is new restoration from four K scan of the original negative. Two presentations of the film: one with the original Castle of Fu Manchu title sequence, and the alternative. Assignment Istanbul titles. Uh, original mono audio. Uh, Vic Pratt introduces the Castle Fu Manchu, seven minutes long, uh, 2020. Appreciation by BFI Curator. From Alicante to Istanbul, 2020, 13 minutes, which we see actor Rosal Banieri remembering Jesus Franco, Maria Rome, and the making of Castle Fu Manchu. Yeah, she also talks quite a bit about 99 women on it, and uh, Justine, and. Um, uh, her working with Jess Franco. She doesn't go over lucky, though. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, an interview with Harry on Towers from 2008, 45 minutes, a uh, far-reaching personal account of the intrepid producer's life in radio, TV, and film. Uh, so, yeah, goddamn. So, automatically, you already have that seven-minute introduction, 13 minutes with uh, Resolve Neary, so that's 20 minutes there. And then you got 45 minutes with Harry on Towers. And then you got a 31-minute uh, deal with The Further Mysteries of Dr. Fu Manchu, The Coughing Horror, 1924, 31 minutes. Uh, Fu Manchu torments Nayland Smith with a terrifying creature in the silent serial sequel. Uh, presented with an optional new score by the band Peninsula. And then you have alternative title sequences, original theatrical trailer, image gallery, promotional and publicity material, New and improved English subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing, and UK premiere on Blu-ray. So yeah, I am a I have one of those fancy um, uh, region-free players. So I put this in, and uh, I didn't hit the number two, and it says sorry, we can't play it in our your region. I was like, oh shoot! And so it's kind of cool to see that screen, and then I went ahead and uh, hit the right button, and it went right through, and I got to watch it. So yeah, it was cool. That was the first time I got to watch one of these. Uh, sets from the box set because I had reviewed um, Blood of Fu Manchu before I got that box set and just reviewed it off of the uh, Blue Underground copy so alright so that's enough talking up that uh, the viewing copy that I watched but you know 
people like to kind of know what you, what uh, what what version you watch because with Franco Films, there's so many cool um, different uh, companies worldwide. You got a lot of really cool German releases of Franco Films. You got uh, really cool UK, uh, and then of course the United States. And uh, those are mostly the three that I, I've been finding quite a bit. Um, oh, and then, yeah, of course, you got Italian and, and some of the Norwegian ones that are really cool. Different companies put out some stuff. But, yeah, it seems like um, Germany, United States, and uh, UK are pretty good with all that stuff. So, all right, so this is um, Castle Fu Manchu, and I'll give you the synopsis, and I'll give you my review, and we'll go over the Franco list and see what is included on his usual assortment of the Franco recipe. So, all right, here we go. Synopsis. To demonstrate his mastery of the world, Fu Manchu devises a way to freeze the oceans using special crystals. He directs his device at a ship in the Caribbean, sinking it with an iceberg. However, he overloads the equipment and blows up his base in the process. Fu Manchu's arch enemy, Nathan Smith, is on holiday in Scotland with his good friend, Dr. Petrie. When news of the disaster arrives, along with an order from the Home Secretary to return to London, Fu Manchu sets up a new base, taking over a castle on the banks of the Bucifrous in Anatolia, Turkey. However, despite the offer of an alliance from powerful Turkish crime lord Omar Pasha, Fu Manchu immediately murders all but one of his welcome party and steals his lover, a dark-haired beauty called Lisa. Fu Manchu holds Professor Heracles, the inventor of the crystallization process, prisoner in a dungeon. In England, a friend of Heracles, Dr. Kurt Kessler and Ingrid, his secretary, are abducted and brought to Fu Manchu's new residence hidden in coffins. Melnick, a local stool pigeon, tries to use this information to extort money from the authorities and Omar Pasha. Pasha offers to buy the information, then immediately has Melnick killed. At Fu Manchu's base, Professor Heracles is seriously ill with heart problems. The unscrupulous supervillain blackmails Dr. Kessler and Ingrid to perform a transplant using a healthy man to keep Heracles alive. Appalled, they refuse. Fu Manchu persuades them to comply by destroying a local dam with his special crystals, killing scores of men in the process. Nathan Smith, with the help of the Istanbul police, heads off to Anatolia and infiltrates Pasha's base. Pasha, too, is planning an attack on Fu Manchu to rescue his beloved Lisa. On the principle that my enemy's enemy is my friend, the two men decide to pool their resources and devise a plan to destroy Fu Manchu once and for all. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's the rundown of Fu Manchu, but they don't tell you about, like, the last, uh, I don't know, ten minutes or so of it or so. Like, that, that goes, that's about 90% of it right there, so... But uh, yeah, so all right. Um, different thoughts of that I had while watching this. Um, I've seen this film. This is probably like my like my third time watching it, probably. But I hadn't watched it in probably maybe twenty years. Um, I liked it more this time as a Franco fan. Um, 
but yeah, there's there's some stuff in here that's just totally funny, um, and it's really schlocky. I mean, you realize the budget, I guess, and what he used, but you can see through a lot of stuff. Like, there's parts where he's supposed to be outside of, like, this palace, and then you can see, like, tourists or people in the background walking by and stuff when there's supposed to be this big battle going on, and then uh, just certain things are just so funny. Cutting from one thing to another, lots of... Uh, stock footage of different things the damn sequence the explosions the of course the aforementioned uh titanic sequence from a night trim member that's color tinted uh footage from bride or uh what was it uh brides of fu manchu yeah yeah brides of fu manchu the second film used uh, like the whole opening sequence so yeah like the first six minutes of the film is basically footage from the second fu manchu film Footage from a night to remember, which is like basically ten years before this. Which I was thinking about that nowadays. Like, you know, this is what twenty twenty two. So if like basically used footage from like a film ten years before, like twenty twelve. So like you're you're using footage from like a ten year old film in your film already. I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Especially if it's not even your film. It's like a British film by uh, you know that company. I forgot which company it was. Twentieth Century Fox maybe or something. Which I guess it's the same company. Yeah, because these are Fox films, but still, and it's just Franco too. So it's like, well, actually, no, that was Harry on Towers. But who knows? It might have some distribution with it. But I don't know. It was funny, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting that they use that and that whole thing. It just makes it look so cheap, and then the dubbing over their own footage with uh, Christopher Lee and Sai Chen and and Burt Quark's not even in it. He's you know, I mean, and he probably didn't get paid either. So it's just like all that cheesy stuff is so crazy. Um, Rose Albanieri is really awesome in this. I really am a big fan of hers, and I like to watch films just if she's in it, you know? And, uh, I, th- I, I started a suit count on her in this, because I was thinking she was going to wear, like, all these different really cool suits, but she only has, like, two great suits she wears. She wears this great, like, uh, white and pinstripe suit with, a uh, tie and this little fez cap. She's supposed to be, like, Turkish. She looks really great in this. And then the other one, she wears like this kind of um, gold and brown striped suit um, with like this double necktie deal. And she has like a machine gun and uh, has her hair all pulled back and both times. And yeah, very tough and beautiful and tough fighter and stuff. She's really great. Um, what did I think of? It was funny in here. Um, yeah, I actually, I'll go over the list stuff later. Um, yeah, you have the siege of the governor's mansion. It's funny. There's like this battle where... They, like, sneak into the gate, shoot the guards, and then they fire this flare gun up, and you see it twice, so it's funny. It's, like, almost a blooper. And then the guys come in, and they, like, siege this this Turkish governor's mansion where they're supposed to have all this opium hidden. By the, like, the governor runs drugs out of this mansion, basically. He has all these guards. And, like, the guards are just, like, standing there. Like, one guy's, like, sleeping at his post, and the guys come up behind him, and they're, like, dubbed in all this gunshots and stuff but you don't see any guns being pulled because you know it's like basically this place was like a post office or something that they're shooting at so basically they're like running up on these guys and grabbing them and like choke holds and pulling them down and other guys looking the other way and it's like if you hear all these gunshots going stuff going on don't you think the guards would like not be standing there sleeping or like sitting down or looking the other way they'd be like hey there's gunfire let me look in that direction at least or maybe like be awake you know so uh, it's just really funny this big siege and the fights and just so bad they're like doing half-ass back body drops and like just really poor fighting techniques and just just terrible so yeah that seems really funny they come in and 
take over the governor and cut his head off and all that stuff, which is kind of cool that part is. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's pretty, pretty cheesy. Um, I like they had a lot of cool lab scenes in this with uh, different color dry ice, um, like uh, different like red and blue liquids and dry ice and all that pipe and all that good stuff, all the um, piped in steam and all that stuff. Um, let's see what else we have. Um, oh yeah, the daytime cemetery scene's really cool. Really, of course, with the Franco film, there's a lot of great locations in this. Uh, you have. Uh, I mean, I'll go over the list later, but yeah, it's a lot of water in this film. Uh, you see a lot of great, cool locations: uh, Istanbul and, um, I guess, Alicante and and uh, Spain. All they filmed quite a, really cool areas in this film. Um, you see, uh, uh, Just Franco is really great in this. He has that fez on his head, which is the Severn uh, figure they sold at Tree Topper. So you see him in this; he's really good. He's like, uh, like rolling a cigarette. So he's turkey. So he's probably like smoking hash and like drinking really like Turkish coffee uh, overlooking the river overlooking the river in this really cool scene you can see it's really really well shot it's like from behind him over his, over his shoulder looking down and it's a great distance below him you can just kind of see the city underneath him and stuff it's a really nice shot um, yeah there's actually quite a, actually you know there's a few really great shots in this film some of the cuts are kind of funny and the pacing's weird and there's a few unnecessary things but uh there's a, there's a lot of nice, really great cinematography with uh, travel shots, location shots, really good atmosphere stuff. Uh, he really shot some nice stuff to kind of spice up the film a little bit, give it some prestige and some luster, and that actually does help with some of the things on there. So, um, There's a scene we talked about earlier where um, Dr. Uh, or is it, uh, Ingrid and uh, Dr. Kessler are waking up because they're basically... They're basically, like, kidnapped, and then they, like, turn the opium to ice and freeze them, suspend animation, and then, like, put them in these coffins, and they transport them. It's a really cool scene. They're transporting these coffins, and the bodies are inside through town, and then the, some of the townspeople see them because they're not inconspicuous at all, you know, but they're carrying these, like, wooden old-school coffins. And uh, they take them to this, like... So it's funny, so, like... Dr. Fuminchu, like I said earlier, he sieges this governor's mansion. He, like, takes control of the mansion and, uh, you know, kills the guards and all that stuff. And then, but then you see, like, he has this, like, so I guess the governor had it, too, because he didn't do it himself. He has this, like, multicolored, like, dungeon basement with, like, lab equipment. Well, I'm sure that's food's lab equipment. But, like, all these rooms that are, like, almost, like, fucking holding cells and weird fucking colored lights and stuff like the governor would have that you know so like i don't know man he would have maybe like basements and stuff down there but he wouldn't have all that crazy i don't know if his government mansion might have a jail cell i guess but now i'm thinking it out but yeah all the colored lights and the purple and green and red and all that shit it's like come on man i don't think he would have that fucking stuff under there so but you know of course it's a fu manchu film so you gotta have a suspension of disbelief any kind of pulp sci-fi fun, you know, crime film like that. Um, okay, what else do we have that I thought was cool? Um, yeah, Franco, like I said, it was cool, good scene. That uh, the dam busting scene, I thought it was cheesy as hell. I'm curious, like, what that what that footage is from. Um, they don't say it in the book, so I'll have to re- research it more and see. But uh, I have a hard time believing that they staged that whole sequence with the close-ups of the dam bursting and all the extras running because uh, it looks like they used that and they 
filmed some people running themselves. Like they might have shot a few extra scenes of like maybe 15 people running away or something because they superimpose like fake water splashing like it's white. Kind of like to like uh, hype the scene up when the editing technique to kind of like go to the next shot, go to the next shot. So he uses these like wipes of water splashing that you could tell was added later. But uh, yeah, I just, I'm just curious what that sequence is from or what film that's taken from because if they did spend that money on that, it's a totally unnecessary sequence, which I'm sure is not because it's uh, you see Fu Manchu and them overlooking them and they're in a totally different shot and everything. Like it's just. They're reacting to what's going on below them, so I think it's footage that was from something else. But I'm curious if it's another Harry Allen Towers film or something he acquired or if it was public domain or what it was. But uh, actually, it wouldn't be public domain. But yeah, it looks like it was definitely shot maybe like 10 years before or something. All right, what else do we have here? Um, yeah, was over there. He has two suits. I caught that. Um, Istanbul, all that good stuff. Uh, number one, okay, um, lots of fog, uh, oh yeah, so at the end, like, when they're, with basically the whole, so basically, Nathan Smith infiltrates the thing, and he, like, gets on Fu's, uh, equipment, and tries to, like, call back to London, tell him he's still alive, and all this, his death is, is false report, and then you hear Fu Manchu's voice, one of his many voiceovers, that's supposed to be coming from the computer, or whatever it is, the, the, uh, um, uh, telephone device, whatever it is, uh, the communications device. You hear Dr. Fumich, she was voiced, Nayland Smith, Nayland Smith. And then uh, all of a sudden, like, and then it looks like he tries to, like, blow up the equipment, but I guess he's pumping out poisonous gas. And then, like, the things start backing up, and the crystal that's in the water starts cracking into his place, and then his place starts exploding, but then, like, all this poisonous gas from I don't know where just suddenly fills all these hallways. They're running away, and you can tell they have, like, one hallway because they shoot it from, like, three different angles, and they're running to the camera and away from the camera, and it's dressed exactly the same, so it's supposed to be, like, multiple tunnels, you know. But, uh, yeah, so you see all that, and they flood the tunnels, and and uh, it's a good sequence. I mean, it's just kind of necessary. They try to, like, just add layers to nothing to try to spice it up. But, um, yeah, it's cool. He tries to do a little style with his stuff, uh, the colors and everything. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of funny cuts on stock footage. Like I said, a lot of explosions that are like black and white that are tinted and stuff like the orange colors. And so, yeah, I don't know what the, what the hell they got a lot from Westerns or something. They got some of this footage from, you know, it might even be like from foreign films or something at that time. Maybe that was a little cheaper to acquire. I used to do that back in the day is they would get films from like Japanese films or German films or, or, um, different country Czechoslovakian or whatever and, and just take it and just use footage like a uh, Corman would do it in the fifties or or sixties with like uh outer space movies and stuff. He'd take the really good special effects from the foreign foreign film and then just shoot a bunch of scenes with people that were Hollywood people or whatever and then just incorporate that footage in and make this little film look a lot better, you know? So now I'm talking it out, I'm sure that's what kind of what Franco did and Towers did. They basically just had all this footage that save the money and just kind of use that to give the film a bigger looking production even though it's the cheapest of the five Fu Manchu films and uh, didn't come out until a lot later so you know that was that so alright uh, let me go over the Franco list here look at time good okay 
Uh, so yeah, so this is the Franco checklist that I prepared uh, back in the day when we used to have Eric helping and Greta and and uh, Kali again and, and some people we'd always notice patterns and I went through and kind of went through and started checklisting and uh, as the viewing went more and more you started seeing a few things that maybe added to it but try to keep it down because uh, I don't know you don't want to have like 50 things but we're down to about 27 which is pretty good I think that's enough maybe I go up to 30 I don't know we'll see because some of these are kind of repetitious so I could condense it down a little bit like number two and three is sailboat and boats I might just make that one because some films have a sailboat which was the first way and then some are mechanical boats and some are just uh, boats without a sail so anyway alright here we go number one on the Franco checklist is body of water Yes, of course, this film has t- a lot of bodies of water. Right at the beginning, of course, with the uh, Titanic footage from A Night to Remember, uh, the 50s version, uh, you see that. And then you see, um, uh, of course, all the boats throughout the film traveling and, and ports and boats that are um, all over the place. So, yeah. And then uh, two and three sailboat boats, plenty of those. Uh, number four, palm trees. Um they don't really show a lot of... There's trees in here. Palm trees, I'm sure, are among them, but it's not nothing that stands out like in a lot of other Franco films. So that's kind of a push. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. Not as much jungle sound effects, but there are like lab sound effects, a lot of bubbling cauldrons and stuff, the lab equipment, the all the Fu Manchu solutions and stuff. So there's uh, a lot of the exaggerated lab sounds, but no jungle sounds. Number six, chained up person. Yes, briefly. Uh, Rosalba Neri, when she's captured, uh, she's chained up. Um, let's see, where's that list? Um, there it is. She, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually, it takes quite late. Uh, I was kind of shocked because uh, it's after she's held, kidnapped and held for a while. You don't see her. And then when they bring her in, you see that she's been held in the cell and, and her hands are above her head. She's chained. You only see it quickly, almost like, uh, like in... Um, uh, shoot, what was that? Uh, Orloff or uh, Dr. Orloff's monster where it's like, it's more suggestive, it's almost out of frame, but you could tell that she's chained up, you know. Um, so yeah, so that was Rosalba Neri is the one that's chained up in this. So yeah, of all the people I would have her chained up would be my pick of the cast. <laughs> all right, number seven. Uh, dance scenes on stage stripping. You know, there's no nudity in this film. So, yeah, no dance scenes on stage stripping, which is, you know, I've, that's really rare because almost all of his scenes have either a dance on stage with or without stripping. But in this film, there's really no dancing at all now that I think about it. Well, that's interesting. I, I didn't even catch that. Uh, eight club scenes dancing. No, no, no club scenes, no bars, taverns, nothing like that. It's all pretty straightforward. It's um, in the park when they're fishing and then all this stuff with... Fu Manchu, and then, you know, I take that back. Well, instead of a bar, there's like an opium den in here where um, uh, Omar Parsha is, you know, where he's, and the guy's like smoking a big hookah, but that's about it, really. You know, just that place. But that's not really a big club with people hanging out and all that stuff. Um, number nine, jazz music. Yeah, there's a cool uh, main title, like a jazz number. Uh, I guess like the Fu Manchu main theme, which is pretty good. Actually, I liked it. Uh, on the uh, indicator uh, Blu-ray they played over the uh, main titles and over the menu and stuff so it's you can hear in the background and yeah it's, 
it's a nice little piece of music. I enjoyed it. So yeah, there's there's some jazz in this film. Not as much craziness, but enough to push through, definitely. Uh, number 10 and 11. Number 10, excessive zooms. Number 11, out of focus shots. Those usually go together. Uh, not necessarily in this. He's still pretty tight. Uh, Harry on Towers, you know, um, prime right here. Uh, his era of doing that. So he's uh, refrained. He's really good on his stuff. He's not uh, delivering films that are out of focus and all, you know, slapdash together. So. He's a good boy at this time, so no excessive zooms and no out-of-focus shots. There's some zooms, but nothing crazy. Uh, number 12, mirror shots. Hmm. You know, I don't think I caught any mirror shots in this film. I didn't monitor that one as I was watching it, but nothing pops out of my head of anything that I usually have in this film. So, yeah, this is an interesting film. There's a lot of Franco things that aren't on here, which are usually staples in all of his films. So, But, you know, he is working with... The Fu Manchu genre, and you can't really put a lot of your own touches into it as much as you'd like, I think. So, it makes sense. Uh, okay, 13, mind control theme. Well, let's see. Um, it's more... Well, I mean, it's not mind control like Orloff, but he's, they're all, you know, slaves of, of Fu Manchu. And you could do the opium as in drug controlled mind. He wants people to become addicts, you know. So that's the mind control is more the controlling of the people subconsciously or, or through, you know, uh, drugs and, and uh, addiction and things like that. So, I don't know, that's kind of a wash. I'll say no, but there's there's seeds in it, but not, not necessarily a solid statement. Uh, number 14, magic tongue scenes. No. No magic tongue from Fu Manchu, although that might would have been interesting to see uh, Christopher Lee and Lena getting getting on. But yeah, it's like I always say, no Lena, no magic tongue. So uh, number fifteen, red light. Yeah, there's actually quite a few red lights in this. Red lights, green lights, uh, purple lights, uh, orange lights. So yeah, there's a lot of cool color lighting in this. Uh, Twelve sheepskin rug or any masturbation with a letter C item uh no and no uh that's later on that's lena territory okay 17 mad scientist duh yes 100 percent mad scientist extraordinaire dr fu manchu you know on here he's just uh i don't think they ever call him doctor on these ones i know he's he's referred to as a doctor before like with uh boris karloff and that but yeah interesting I always call him Dr. Because, you know, he's a doctor like Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Fu Manchu. So, yeah. So, yes, mad scientist, 100%. The great, late Dr. Fu Manchu. All right. Uh, a number 18, fish tank shots. Uh, no, nada, zip, zero, zolt. No fish tanks in this. Um, a lot of lab equipment, though. A lot of cool, uh, you know, big fucking round, cool you know, beaker, not beakers, but these lab deals that have little spouts and twisty things and pipes and hoses and stuff. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool vintage uh, lab equipment, but... All right, 18, uh, 19, talking parrot or talking animals? No, uh, talking monkey would have been nice, but no, nothing in this. Uh, number 20, end credits, yes or no? Uh... No, because you just hear him saying, the world will hear from me again. 
And then he, you see his face and you hear the voice, the world will hear from me again, which is funny because he says it twice and you did hear from him again. So I don't know if that was done as a joke or if it was done to be serious. So yeah, no, no, yeah, no end credits. Uh, actually, no, at the end there's, there's, there's end credits, but no the end. So that's all I should say. There's no the end, but there is end credits. So yeah. Uh, 21, handwritten signs or notes. Yeah, there's one for, uh, well, when all the, like, in the beginning when the heads of the countries were sitting there, there's like a little printed up thing that says like Spain and, and uh, Turkey and stuff in front of them. I kind of caught that, uh, the heads of the countries. But then also I caught it on the sign on Dr. Kessler's door. You could tell it was just made for the film, of course. Um, I mean, it was a handwritten, it was like handmade, but still was pretty cheap looking okay um but yeah it's not as bad as later on they actually had a budget for that i'm sure um 22 spiral staircase shot no no spiral staircase shots in this interestingly enough i didn't catch any uh even going down to the basement and that he just he just kind of he goes there you don't see him go walk down stairs of any kind uh there's stairs up front in the castle when you see the guards running down chasing him but you know stone steps but that's about it um so yeah inept cops yeah uh franco's character is inept because he doesn't care he's uh just fucking around uh nathan smith and them are good they figure out the clues but a lot of the cops in here are just dumb they don't they're always one step behind uh dr fu manchu uh number 14 belly chains no belly chains in this sorry uh, 25 kinks, not really too much S and M stuff in this. I think, um, you might have, uh, her chained to, uh, not really necessary. Yeah. I don't think I really caught too much on this. It's pretty, pretty standard PG fare here. So, you know, uh, number 26, great headboards, not any beds in this. Actually, there's the, uh, kind of the bed that the Dr. Heracles is on. You have like the medical costs. Oh yeah. That's something I had to talk about. There's a long, like, uh, freaking um, scene when they're doing, like, a heart transplant. And I guess, uh, I was talking about other footage, I guess that footage is of, like, a real heart transplant footage that they end up using in the film that they got from somewhere. And that scene's, like, eight minutes long, the whole lab scene. Or, no, I'm sorry, it's a four-minute surgery scene. Now look at my notes. Um, yeah, a four-minute long surgery scene, which is crazy because there's, like, real footage of a heart transplant. And... Um, that's that's pretty fucking crazy. That's another part of the uh, footage that they use. That's uh, somebody else's stuff. Uh, but yeah, and yeah, so then you have that that the cots they're laying on and stuff. But uh, that's why I brought that up because there's no great beds in this film. And finally, number twenty-seven question we always ask: Does this film? What's the main theme? And this is something that uh, Stephen Thorard brought up that I liked and I always try to use. Uh, is it based on fear? Or what's the strongest in this film, fear or desire? Well, you have fear of Dr. Fu Manchu trying to control the world, but you have the desire of Fu Manchu that is his desire to rule the world. So, if you're siding with the antagonist, then you say desire. If you're siding with the protagonist, which uh, would be probably like Nayla Smith and Dr. Petrie, then you would say fear. So, you know, hmm. Yeah, I would say desire, because their desire to stop Fu Manchu and his desire to rule the world. And the fear is just the 
fall out from it. So yeah, I, I, I would take that back and say desire. It's the desire. But, you know, of course, fear and desire are two, are a side, two different sides of the same coin because basically desire is absence of fear or unthinking of fear. And fear is lack to get the desire or lack of desire or lack or fear of not getting that desire or not getting the object of your desire, so to speak. So the fear of what if, what I can I do or can't do or something. So that's interesting. I never really thought about that until I'm just sitting here speaking it out loud, kind of analyzing it in my brain as I deduct different things about it. So, yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah, fear, desire, I think it's just basically are you uh, strong and focused or are you scattered and, and fearful? So that's basically life itself. So, yeah, interesting. So that's cool. Sometimes it's nice to talk out loud and think about things because... You might think of something different, and somebody else might think of that and pick that up and carry that and take that thought and do something with it as well. So hopefully that's something you can think about and maybe use for something good in your life. Speaking of something good in your life, I had said in the first half I was happy with uh, some sales I've made on some Lena shirts and a very cool person that donated to the uh, episode or donated to the podcast. So once again, if you care to donate, options there one time monthly whatever you want to do much obliged uh also too always for free you can download any episode you want or subscribe so it's introduced into your box every wednesday morning and uh it's always there for you so please rate the episodes share and uh give it a good review rate and leave a good review please appreciate that uh, also tell a friend, uh, share the podcast. Uh, it's always good to let people know things and, uh, it's always helpful to share because if you like something, share it with other people and let them have the same thing because you'll still get it and the other people will get it too. That's not any less for you. It's just equal amounts for everybody. So that's this podcast because it's free. So it's all equal. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, any questions, comments, anything you want to talk to me about, Franco-wise or anything else, you can get a hold of me, Jason, at uh, Franco Observer. That's F-R-A-F-R-A-N-C-O-O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R, one word, Franco Observer, at Yahoo, dot com. Franco Observer at Yahoo.com. Send us an email. I'd like to hear from you. Okay. And also, you can get a hold of us if you want. Uh, add us on Facebook under the Franco Observer Podcast or Instagram at the Franco Observer Podcast. Blah, 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 blah. You know all that. Uh, all right. Well, that's cool. And um, also, just got added to Amazon Music. So if you want to listen to us on Amazon Music, you can find us in all the episodes there as well. I don't know what platform is the best for what, but, you know, yeah, we're on about, like, I think I got the show on 8 to 10 or 15, I don't know, it's quite a bit, pretty much anything that's mainstream or semi-mainstream or has a good reach, I'm on there, so, yeah, you'll see it everywhere, Podchaser and, you know, uh, I don't know, just tons of them, so, I, I did all in the beginning and I try to add more as they let me, so, yeah, so, it's there if you want it. So 
anywhere you want, you'll find Franco Observer Podcast. So, I think that's pretty good. Looking at time, about 36 minutes. So, this is kind of a quick film. So, this is not going to be a long podcast, about an hour or so. Uh, but yeah, 92 minute film. Uh, watch the English language version, which is, I think, the pretty standard version. Uh, it's the UK one, the longest 92 minute one. Um, and I think it's the same one that uh, actually it says 94 on the Blue Underground, but I think they always make up shit because. UK's 92 and USA's 87, so I don't know if I can get 94 out of that. But anyway, so yeah, that was kind of worthless. <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you all for listening. And yeah, I recommend Castle Fu Manchu. It's fun. Uh, it's definitely not really boring. There's a couple scenes that drag a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of mishmash stuff, but uh, it's fun. Great locations, cool people. Franco's fun in it. Christopher Lee's great in it. Solvent is amazing. Uh, so yeah, it's fun. Check it out. And I will see you later on the next episode of the Franco Observer Podcast. See you next Wednesday. Adios. Buenas noches. Mm-hmm.